that we will be ministering uh, in this church. And uh, last week was the first week. Today is the second week. So we have 10 more weeks to go. Last week we talked about everyone is a disciple. That was the topic of our lesson. Everyone is a disciple. Now, let me test you a little bit, give you some homework real quick right here. Well, it's classwork, and see if you can handle this question. Um, we said a little bit last week that people are more comfortable saying they are Christians as opposed to say they are disciples. Why did we say that really is? Where Why people feel more comfortable saying they are Christians rather than saying they are disciples. Anyone want to tell me what did we say why people feel comfortable saying I am a Christian as opposed to saying I am a disciple? Who has the answer for me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What did he say, brother? That's probably the answer in a nutshell. That's probably the answer in a nutshell. We said that as a Christian, the mindset is I go to church, I listen to the word of God on Sunday, and I go home and I'll deal with that again next Sunday. So I live my life for myself that Monday through Saturday. And then Sunday, I come back to church, and when I come back to church Sunday, then I hear the word, I said yes to the word, that makes sense, and then I'm done Sunday, and then I live my life for myself, Monday through Saturday. But a disciple understands they are followers of Jesus Christ, and that they are always on the move, and on the job, so to speak, for the Lord Jesus. And so a disciple really, let me tell you uh, the way you live victorious Christian life. Sunday should be the day you come to celebrate what you did Monday through Saturday. If we ever get a hold of that, man, that's where you will experience miracles, signs, wonders, and demonstration by the Holy Spirit on Sundays because we are coming in just wanting to just give God the praise and the honor because all throughout the week you were doing kingdom work and so God was doing things in people's lives because he allowed you to be an instrument that he could work through so you couldn't wait to get to church to celebrate not to mention you probably have a couple people come to church that you were working on throughout the week now that's Living the victorious Christian life or discipleship life. But if you just want to stick to being a Christian, then you'll come on Sundays. That made sense. That was pretty good. Not bad. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then once we say dismiss at 1230, 1215, 1220, let me get my beef patty. Let me go take my pictures out front. Let me go hang with my boys in the back. I know what everybody moves are when they get out. You know, some go get their coffee. 
Some go take their pictures. Some clean up. Some put things back. But we all have something that we're doing after church. And then when we finally walk out the building and get out the car, woof, got my life to myself. I go do whatever I want. From Sunday evening, bless you, from Sunday evening all the way back to Sunday morning. That's the life of a Christian. And we don't like to admit that. But if we will be disciples, and that's what we talked about last week, that everyone who become born again of the water and of the spirit, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're supposed to think about. All right, let's get into some word tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. Somebody paying attention. Verse number one says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove or prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says that we must present our bodies living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Let's go to the next text. The next um, scripture here. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 verse number 1. Let's look at John chapter 12 verse number 1. The word of the Lord says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with Jesus, with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment then said one of his disciples Judas Iscariot Simon's son which should betray him why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. Verse number six. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying had she kept this. For the poor Always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Interesting stuff there. A lot of good stuff. Uh huh. All right, here we go. Without the title of our discipleship lesson tonight is this Informed but not transformed. 
informed, but not transformed. Uh huh. So let's dig into that. Without warning or announcement, Mary burst into the room with a bottle of expensive ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then began to wipe his feet with her hair. Eleven disciples were impressed, if not touched, by such a gesture. But Judas was incredulous. He held it inside as long as he could. Something needed to be said, and he was the one to do it. What did he say? Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He protested. On the surface, his criticism sound prudent, reasonable, and worthy of defense. Can I say this? You've heard me say this before. When I'm talking to people, I'm always praying because I want to know motives. Remember I told you that? Now you just see why I'm like that. I try to study my Bible and try to do as much as I can to learn it. And people say a whole lot of stuff all the time, and sometimes it sounds good. But deep down, there's some other things going on while they're saying what they're saying. And only if you have discernment, only if the Spirit of the Lord is working in you, you're going to really understand what they're up to. And so you got to say, God, help me to understand what's going on here. The others knew well by this time. That Judas did not care for the poor, but he was a thief and had already been stealing from their money box. Judas walked with Jesus and all the other disciples three and a half years. And he was stealing and nobody said a word. Why we always got to say something? Because sooner or later, if you ain't right, it's going to come out. I don't have to go around telling you, you ain't right, you ain't right, and I saw you did this. No. Sooner or later, here it comes. Because whatever's in your heart is coming out sooner or later. And so it was in Judas's heart all along. He's stealing the money. He probably was just consumed with guilt because he probably was hoping that one of them would pull him to the side and say, yo, man, you're taking the money. What are you doing? And nobody did it. So now he's walking around guilty, don't know really what to do because he know somebody had to find out. Why did I say nothing? And he didn't have enough sense to go and repent. Hmm. He was intrigued. Listen to me carefully. This moved me. This lesson I'm teaching you tonight, it made me ask myself some questions. Judas is who we're talking about. He was intrigued, but not entangled. He was curious, but not committed. He was enchanted, but not engaged. The buy-in meant something different to him than it appeared to mean to the others. People come to church all the time. 
People say they're following Jesus, but everybody got a different motive of why they're following Jesus. Hear me and hear me good. I say it all the time. We can't just follow Jesus for only what he can do for us. That's not a good motive. Because when he decides he won't do something for you, what are you going to do? This is why Satan came to Job, came to God and says, Job only follow you because of what you can do for him. This is why Job went through what he went through because God had to show the devil there are some people that's following me because they love me. There are some people that's following me because they know who I am and they want to be in relationship with me. And you think they only want to follow me because of what I can do? Go do anything you want to him but you can't take his life. Because he was showing the devil that people ain't following me just for myself, but people do follow the Lord for what he can do for them. And we have to examine our life and say, am I just following Jesus because I want to go to heaven? That might seem good to the natural mind and say, yeah, that's why I'm following. I want to get to heaven. But at some point in time, if you don't catch on fire and get a relationship with him and realize, oh, no, this is not just about heaven. This is me having a relationship with him. This is me being in partnership with him and reaching this lost world. I'm not worried about heaven anymore because if I'm in good relationship with him, heaven is a byproduct. We can't follow him for stuff. So Judas was following, he was, the, he was following the master, the creator of all things. He was following him, but all along he was following for the money. What are you following Jesus for? What are you coming to church for? Why are you doing what you do? You got These are the things I ask myself as I'm preparing this. Like, oh Lord, what am I doing this for? Because sometimes we can gain a certain kind of reputation uh, that we are this and that we are that. And now that's that has become our reputation. So we keep on doing what we've always done concerning the things of Christ. Not because we want to be in relationship. Not because we want to be in partnership. But because we developed a certain image because we now at a place where people say this is who you are so you keep going but it's not really about Jesus Judas taught us some lessons and we got to be sharp and not get caught because it can be too late by the time you finally decide to Tell the truth about yourself as to why you're following Jesus, as to why you're coming to church, as to why you came to Bible study on Thursday night. Is it because it looked good if I show up? Is it because I want some head knowledge? Is it because I just want to say that I went to Bible study? What is it? He was buying into the Lord only on the surface. There are people that's going to come to church, that's going to sit next to you, sit behind you, and you won't know it, but Jesus knows it, that they're only seeming like they're buying in on the surface. But deep down, all they can think about is their motive of why they're doing this. They have a motive, and you have to examine yourself and say, what is my motive for following Jesus? Am I a real disciple, or am I just a Christian that has just put together this lifestyle that everybody now knows me by? 
Although this attitude had been concealed in Judas's heart all along, this was the first time he came out into the open with it. Whatever's in your heart, sooner or later, you're going to speak it. There was an intense battle going on inside of Judas that he could not manage much longer. Something was getting ready to boil over and he could feel it. Why could he not just be like the others? They seemed so on board and committed. He knew what they knew and had participated in everything they had, yet he could not seem to catch up with the group. Judas was with them. He was with the, the, the 11 disciples. And he, he watched them. He was among them. He knew something was different between him and them. Secret. People know who's got it and who don't. Yes, every once in a while we get fooled. But for the most part, people know who's got it and who don't. My suggestion is be real about this thing because it's not about how much you know. It's about your intentions and it's about your commitment and it's about your obedience. But we don't all have to be on the same level. Don't worry about being on the same level as the next person. Just worry about your obedience, your commitment, and your will to do what God wants you to do. Don't worry about if I need to be on this level or I need to be on that level or everybody seems to be here and I need to be there. Don't worry about that. God looked to use people that's available, not people with talent. Talent comes from God. And I told you before, the most talented people in the church are the most raunchy people in the church. They, 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 they walk around like they, they're God's gift, which they are, but they act like they're in control of the gift when really God is in control of the gift because he's the giver of the gift. But they walk around, please, you can't talk to me. They always go through something. When you walk around God's church like you you the man or you the woman, you always going to get jammed up. Because God gave you that gift for his purpose to be done in his church, but you are prostituting the gift like it's yours and like it's you that gave yourself that gift. God didn't give you that gift for you. He gave you that gift for the kingdom of God. Every time these gifted gifted people are the hardest people to work with in the church. This is why the musicians, boy, our day coming. I'm going to see what y'all going to do. When we get our building, we got our drummers going, our keyboard going, church rocking, and we go, what y'all going to do? Because y'all going to see. Musicians are usually most gifted. The singers, the players, they're usually most gifted, but they're usually most raunchy people in the church. Because in their mind, can't nobody do what I do. I'm telling you, people with gifts in church, man, the singers, they get the mic and they, in their mind, watch me rock the crowd. So, uh, I 
know about them. I've been around long enough to know about them. Yeah, you're right about that. Not in this church. I don't know if I don't know if if that's going on in a church that's trying to fulfill the name of the church. Because this church, I don't know anything other than what I what this church is entitled: Christ-centered church. And that's the title of this church. And anything that starts go on that ain't Christ-centered, oh whoa 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 whoa. You know what I'm gonna say to you: Is that Christ-centered? Even when we plan our calendar and we're doing something, I'm going, is that Christ-centered? Because if that's not, we don't need to be doing that. We're going to keep the name with the actions. So Judas was rolling with them and he was involved just like they were involved. But his motive and his agenda was different from theirs. He just wanted that every time they got some money, he had an opportunity to make some money. Judas knew just enough to be dangerous. He knew Christ's teachings. He knew Christ's attitude. He knew Christ's vision. And he knew Christ's mission. Judas was so inclined and informed that he was actually the most likely candidate to sell out Jesus. You can't help who will come among us and have different motives and different agendas and ready to sell out you or me. You can't help that. Don't even look for them. Because we, we, yeah, I saw that. I got to check that because I don't know. Don't even worry about it. Three and a half years, Jesus, Jesus never said one word to Judas. And he knew he was stealing. Hmm. So we don't need to worry about the one that's among us, the two that's among us that have the wrong motive. Don't even worry about it. I'm teaching this lesson that they will search their heart and hopefully not wait till it's too late, but get themselves together. And he knew everything about Christ. So he was the one, any one of them could have been the one to sell him out. But let me say this as well. Some people think that it was preordained for Judas to do what he did. Not so. Don't ever believe it. If it's preordained for Judas to do that, then it means God is controlling everything. And we don't really have free will. So if you think it was preordained for Judas, you're not right. That's wrong. Because God has given all of us free will. So here is how you need to say it. You can decide if you want to be Judas or not. Judas didn't have to be Judas. John could have been Judas. But it turned out Judas is Judas. So we have to determine what we're going to be. So determine, I'm not going to be Judas. We can determine that. So don't think it was preordained. Wasn't He just decided he was going to be. It was preordained that one will betray him. It didn't say Judas will betray him. One would betray him. I ain't being that one. He was an insider who knew the places Jesus Jesus frequented. When he wanted to get away from the crowd, he now was in full cooperation with Satan to bring Jesus down. A few days later, it was Passover. The Last Supper had been made ready and the disciples all gathered in. Arriving at last, Jesus made the bombshell announcement. 
that before the night was over, one of his close followers would betray him. Listen to this. All the disciples began to urgently ask Jesus, Lord, is it I? Jesus answered none of them. Curiously, Judas then asked the same question. That ain't what he said. Judas said, Rabbi, is it I? All the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Judas said, Rabbi, is it I? I'll tell you exactly where to go find it. Let you write it down. Matthew 26, 25. Matthew 26, 22. So 26, 22 was the disciples saying, Lord, is it I? 26, 25 was Judas saying, Rabbi, is it I? Whatever is in your heart will come out sooner or later. So the disciples, when they said, Lord, is it I? They were saying, Master, Ruler, God, is it I? They already assumed the position that he's their ruler, he's their master, he is their God. But when it came Judas' time, Judas said, Rabbi, teacher, all Jesus was to him was a teacher. You can be a part of the group and seem like you're engaged just like everybody else. But what will your motives be? What kind of motives will you have as being part of the group? Am I just a teacher to you? I read something in the Bible, Brother Kellerman. It says, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive a prophet reward. But if you don't want to receive the prophet as a prophet, guess what? You don't get no prophet reward. So however you see the teacher, however you see the preacher, however you see the rabbi, is however you're going to be blessed. So he saw Jesus just as a teacher. So guess what? He got knowledge. That's all he got. Knowledge. He never got transformed. His life never changed. He just got some knowledge. The rest of them got everything they needed from God because he was their master. He was their Lord. He was everything to them. So they got everything. But this joker, he just got knowledge. You can come to this church and if, depending on how you see the man of God, that God has set in the place to lead this church will depend on how you're going to be blessed. Woo! That ain't my word. Because you know I ain't got nothing to say about me. Because I'm just no different from you. But the way God structure and set things up is the way God will perform his work and his will. The 11 disciples had made Jesus their master. Judas only made Jesus a teacher. Knowledge is power, but that does not mean it always creates the right kind of power. 
it's so unfortunate that some people, they come to church, they learn the word, and they only learn it just to go outside and let people feel, and, and try to be superior to others. It's knowledge, and it's power, but it's not good power. When you're taking in God's word, and you go outside just to seem like you're more superior to everybody else, you are just a joke. Because that's not what it's supposed to be. I told you who's the best example of that to me all the time. And that's Bishop David Bernard. His degrees got degrees. Right? His degrees got degrees. The man got a law degree. He's got every kind of degree you can think of. His degrees got degrees. And you hear him preach, and you just hear him preach this simple word. And you just shake your head and go on and says, man, God, this is incredible and amazing. This man that's so smart. One year he preached at, 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 because of the times. And I don't know if the Lord just pressed him to get into the depth of just, just our world, our universe, how it's structured. Man, after, after about a, a, a second, couple seconds of him talking about it, we just all head just started spinning. Go ahead, Bishop, just preach it because we don't know what you're talking about at this point. So if he really want to be smart and use his education, he'll blow us all out the water. But that's not how we preach because it's, this is not for us to go and say, look how smart I am. This is for us to go and use to make disciples. Judas' knowledge of Jesus' whereabout gave him power to betray Jesus, which demonstrates that knowledge is not enough to make you a true disciple. Knowing the word of God don't mean you're a Christian. Knowing the word of God don't mean you're a disciple. It just means you have the knowledge. The devil has more knowledge than you, and he ain't saved. Information alone was not enough to restrain Judas from slithering like a snake out into the street to crash in on his insider knowledge. After meeting with members of the Sanhedrin and agreeing on a price, Judas led them into the garden where he knew Jesus would be praying. As agreed upon with a cold kiss of betrayal, he identified the one whom they sought. Perhaps Judas envisioned other options that Jesus might have had after the deed was done. But selling out Jesus instead of selling out for Jesus was the price Judas paid for being informed but not transformed. So let's look at that real quick. If we don't allow ourselves to be transformed with all the time we spend in Bible study, with all the time we spend praying, in all the time we spend coming to Sunday service, in all the time we spend worshiping and praising, in all the time we spend praying and living, if our life don't get transformed, it might cause us to do something as deadly and as sinful as Judas did, which is to sell out the master 
pastor, I'm here to tell you tonight, we have to examine our life and say, am I really transformed or am I just conformed to what the structure of the church is doing? I want to be transformed and not conformed because conformity don't give you any power. Conformity will do nothing for you. Conformity means you're deceiving your own self. Conformity leave you with no power but transformation by the power of God will do something for you that nobody else could do. As a matter of fact, I I got a thought the other day, and here is the thought that scared me to death. I said, secular teaching, counseling, and all the stuff you can think about is probably at its least impact than it's ever been. It has less impact now than it's ever had. Why, preacher? This is just me just thinking the other day. Because we're all so smart, we're all so intelligent, we have so much information at our fingertips that now when we sit with someone that's knowledgeable, that went to school and got degrees to be a counselor, we we, we have our own mind and, and our own things that we study and we pull up on Google and all this stuff. So in our mind, we're sitting and listening, but we still saying, what do you really know? Because I know what you know. And so when they're counseling you and telling you stuff, you're like, yeah, I know that. And so now we just pick and choose what we'll do and what not to do. And no matter how good the counselor it could be, you still be like, eh, whatever. Because we all have access to knowledge. We can pull up the seven things you need to do to be this. You can pull up the five things you need to do to do that. And so we can do that. So we have disrespect for, or we don't have the same respect for counseling and knowledge and teaching anymore. But guess what? The word of God is living. It ain't like the words of the counselor. It ain't like the words in your books that you have in school. The word of God is living. And so when the word of God is spoken to you, it's life that's being spoken to you. And then on top of it, the spirit of God is moving on you. We get transformed by the word of God and by the spirit of God. The only way any one of us can be transformed is by the word of God and by the spirit of God. If we don't let the word Word of God and the Spirit of God move on us. We are just in conformity and we're just conformed and we're not moving and we're not doing anything. But if we allow the Word of God to pierce our heart and we allow the Spirit of God to move on us, we must be transformed. That's the only way we're ever going to be changed because counseling won't do it. Wisdom of this world won't do it. It's only the Word of God and the Spirit of God that can transform lives. That's it. Long time ago, people sat down and listened to intelligent, smart people who went to school and studied stuff. People would listen. They're not listening no more. Oh, I know about that. Before they come to your office, they Google you. Yeah, I, I read something where you gave somebody bad advice. So those things don't work anymore. The only thing that work is what we have. 
The only thing that works is what we have. And so if we're going to be transformed, it, it has to be by the word of God and by the spirit of God. What did Judas not understand about being a true disciple? How obvious do you think it was to Judas that he was not where the other disciples were in relationship with Jesus? I hear something in the spirit. And here is what I'm hearing in the spirit. When we know we're not where we should be, guess what we say to ourselves when we look around and realize we've been goofing off and haven't been putting in the work and hadn't been putting in ourselves being available for God to do. You know, we say, yeah, I will. Sooner or later, I will. No different than Judas. Keep telling yourself you will and days go by and weeks go by and months go by and months go by and years go by and keep telling yourself, yeah, I will. That's kind of like Judas. Maybe that's what he was saying. I know I'm taking the money, but maybe I can struck up a big deal. Maybe I can use the money I stole and start a business and when I make the profit, I can put it back. I'm just saying, you know how we think we got it. We have to tell ourselves things to do what we do when we do wrong. We gotta tell ourselves things. Why do you think you're doing it? You told yourself something. Why you gotta do what you're doing? And so Judas must have told himself, maybe I'll put the money, I'm gonna put the money back. Some more Holy Ghost. And maybe that's why Jesus never said one word. Because that was Jesus judging him. That was Jesus knowing his thoughts saying, yeah, you think you're going to put the money back, so guess, guess what I'm going to do? I ain't going to say nothing to you, because if I say something to you, then you might not put the money, but you might stop telling yourself you're going to put the money back. So you know what? I won't say one word to you and give you all the chance in the world. Let's see if you put the money back. And you never put the money back. Why am I saying this? Because we can keep telling ourselves we're going to get it together, we're going to get it together, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and never really do it. And then when it's too late, we miss out on eternity because we kept on saying, I'm going to, I'm going to. I don't think Judas walked around just like, yeah, I'm just going to take this money and never had a plan. We, we not that, we not that just, just deceive, I don't believe. I, I believe he walked around thinking he was going to figure out a way to fix it. I get some money back in that thing. Because when you walking, when you walking around with Jesus and you see what he's doing and you hear his teaching, you get convicted. And so you have to make a determination. Will I follow him, obey him, or will I not follow him? Judas was no joke. He was following and still doing it. So he had to be telling himself, I'm going to make this up. I'm going to fix this. We're not talking about someone that never followed Jesus. We're talking about somebody that followed Jesus. Just like us. So we got to put him in the category as us. We can't put him in an outside category. Put him in a category as one of us, following Jesus, but messing up and doing wrong, but keep telling ourselves, I'm going to do right. We got to examine ourselves and say, what do I do to change so I can be transformed? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? What is it require, what is required of us to be a follower of the one who laid down his life for us when we consider purchasing anything of value? We always want to know the price tag. 
if we're going to look at value, what it's going to cost. Huh. This is this is good. In his discourse on the price of discipleship in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said that before a man builds a tower, he should consider the price of such an endeavor. It would be embarrassing to begin a construction of a tower and then later realize you did not possess enough capital to finish it. Uh Uh-huh. So... I'll talk about this Sunday. So, think about this. Discipleship really comes down to how valuable you think to be a disciple of Christ is to you. What are you willing to pay for being a disciple of Christ? Now, that's all convoluted there because it's i'm saying pay and we know we don't really pay but it comes down to the value of discipleship to you your payment is what you're willing to give up if you ever want to know what is the price to be a disciple it comes down to what are you willing to give up and there's only one price to pay in your life. And that's to give up everything. You got to give up everything. Jesus was intolerant of would-be followers who were more concerned about what they would have to give up and their personal inconveniences than they were about the price of being their disciple. So here's what it's saying. Such is the case for well-meaning prospective followers of Jesus Christ who made or who wade into the waters of discipleship only to realize it is colder and deeper than what they originally anticipated. There were three such cases in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus knew the heart of people who claimed they wanted to follow him and here is what they said and here is Jesus' response to them because we need to look at the value or the price, the cost for discipleship. It's written all in the Bible. But let's look at some example here. One enthusiast said he would follow Jesus, but Jesus read his heart and replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Apparently, what this man really wanted to know above all else was if Jesus was going to provide him room and board. So when 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 he made it a, a, a reason for why he probably couldn't follow Jesus, he wanted Jesus to say, "Oh no, you good?" Because this was the guy that talked about he had the he got land and he got to build. And so what he wanted Jesus to say is, "Oh no, you're good. We, we, we have land over here. You can build." But Jesus read his heart and says, "We don't have nowhere to stay." So what's more important to you? Somewhere to stay or come with me and have nowhere to stay. Jesus laid this thing out and we don't want to look at it. We have a problem looking at it. But what Jesus knew was you want your comfort because you want to have your nice place you like to stay in. But how I'm moving, I don't have no place. Are you coming or not? (laughs) To 
a second seeker the master offered, follow me. This seeker request was to go bury his father, which on the surface seems reasonable, right? However, this is the type of would-be disciple who is not overzealous, but overcautious. There will always be family and life issues, challenges, and demands, but none of them are enough to temper the master's call in our heart. So Jesus didn't bother with him too. Because Jesus read his heart. It, what, remember, the same Judas thing is the same thing working here. We're making good excuses to do what we want to do opposite of what God wants us to do. But God already know our heart. So, yeah, the preacher don't know. And yeah, the people who you serve with don't know. You can say whatever you want, but just understand the master, the creator. He knows your heart. Just like he read these three men, he reads us every day. So all the excuses we make as to why we don't do this and why we don't do that, he's telling us really deep down, it ain't because of what you're telling me. I know why you're not doing it. We like the, we like the, you know, nice explanation. And because me, I'm not all knowing. I smile with you. This is all sis. Don't worry about all good. And Jesus is saying, you told him that he don't know because he ain't all knowing, but I'm all knowing. And that's just the little excuse you're giving because what's really in your heart is blah, 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 blah. Jesus knows what's in our heart. Can't hide nothing from him. A third prospective disciple appeared willing to accept the call to follow, but desired first to go home and say goodbye to friends and family. Jesus replied was, Jesus' reply was stinging. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He read that guy's heart. He knew you ain't got to go and say bye to the friends. You're just hesitant. You're just, you, you, you're just kind of lazy and don't want to put in the work. In all three of these cases, none of the requests seemed unreasonable on the surface. Yet Jesus is revealing something about the human heart. There will always be logical human reasons why we cannot, should not, and will not fully follow Jesus. There will always be reasoning. But he says, what will you give up? What price will you pay to be my disciple? And you have to think about that. What will cause you to say, I can't, I, I can't be a disciple of Jesus because I got to do this. And when we withhold ourselves from him, that's what we're really saying. I can't because. And you're because it's supposed to be a good reasoning for him that says, okay, I'll catch you next time around. When Paul admonished the believers at Rome to present their bodies a living sacrifice, this was an all-in statement. Perhaps these words would have captured imaginary in the minds of crawling up on the brazen altar of the temple as if, to, as, as if to live in the state of chronic sacrifice. They certainly would not have come away with the idea that living for God was something to squeeze into an already busy life. 
Because that's how we look at it. Oh, I got to squeeze God in my busy life. I got all this going on. I got to squeeze God in. And that's how we looking at, that's how we look at living for God. We got to squeeze him in. And that's not what he said. Because what he wants to know is, what will you not give up to be my disciple? There would not have been any misunderstanding in their reading or hearing as to exactly what degree of commitment Paul was suggesting God was looking for in their life. In the Old Testament, God was looking for a clean, qualified animal to be sacrificed and become a dead animal. In the New Testament, God was looking for the clean, qualified sacrifice of a living man or woman. I love this. In the Old Testament, once the sacrifice was offered, it became God's property. So in the New Testament, once you give your life to Christ through being born again, you belong to him. That never go over good. I belong to him. You know that's true, but it's really not in your heart yet that you belong to Jesus. Listen, I'm not saying this for any other reasons, but to point out that I realize I belong to Jesus. Got to work today. Folks knocked on my office door. Come in. You going somewhere today? Church. That was at 930 in the morning. <laughs> Tickle my own self when that happened. You going somewhere? You look pretty sharp here. Where you going? Church. 930, 10 o'clock in the morning. They just trying to get their work day through. And I'm thinking church. And they must be thinking I'm crazy. But it's okay. It's because I know I belong to Jesus. So from the moment I woke up, <laughs> my life is in his hand. Whatever I got to do, that's what I got to do. Wear the shoes all day long. Yeah, so if they hurt, they just got to hurt. Brother Hasker said to me this evening, you always dress like that? I said, Brother Hasker, I, you didn't have to put preacher on my title to make me look like this every day. I've been looking like this for a long time because I realize I belong to Jesus. Preacher, the preacher ain't got nothing to do with how I look. It's been a long, long time. Because I don't belong to myself no more. Don't belong to myself no more. Matter of fact, pray for me. I got to go to um, Connecticut tomorrow evening. I got to preach at a men's conference in Connecticut tomorrow evening and Saturday evening. And when I leave Saturday evening, I'm rolling back down 95 so I can be here for Sunday morning. So pray for me that God will do what he needs to do and bless us. And help us. But bottom line is, belong to him. That's all I can tell you. I don't know nothing. I belong to him. Where are you going? I don't even know. Just, I'm just going. The only qualification required seems to be a sacrifice that is completely upon the altar, not partially sliding off the altar. We can't give ourselves to God as a sacrifice, but only some of us. Because that if you're only giving him some of you, that means some of you slid off the altar. You got a portion on the altar and a portion slidden off the altar. 
Paul addressed the required commitment of the body to fully engage in becoming a disciple. In verse 2, Paul addressed the required commitment of fully engaged mind as the requirement in becoming a disciple. God is not asking for a small portion of our lives. He is asking for all of our lives. Which means when you're at work, you're working, but you're supposed to be doing God business. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Paul said we should not allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but rather become transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformation is the result of true discipleship. So how do we know we are disciples? By our life being transformed. How does one's life become transformed? Well, it starts with your thinking being changed. How you mean thinking change, preacher? Long time ago, if you tell me all the problems that's wrong with the world, I will be trying to come up with a solution for you. Now you ask me what's the problem with the world, I said the world needs Jesus. My thinking has changed because I realized the only solution to stop violence, the only solution to stop crime, the only solution to stop all the racial uh, unrest is Jesus. If we all become disciples of Jesus, we will cease all the problems. But I could not know that before I was transformed. When I got transformed, then I realized the answer is in Jesus. In the world right now, there's a big debate on, you know, gun laws. With all the shooting up going on, they say, well, pass more laws or don't let them buy this kind of gun and don't let them buy so much ammunition. All of that stuff. But that's not the answer. The answer is people need Jesus. Because if you have Jesus in your life and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you won't take your neighbor's life. You won't do all this stuff. So the answer is Jesus. But I could not come up with that except I was transformed. So it starts with your thinking. And your thinking will then control your attitude. And your attitude will control your behavior. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Can I tell you a little secret? I feel these days that it's so much, it's so incumbent upon us to be more apostolic and more driven in the word of God than we've ever been. Because the world is moving fast to squeeze you into the mold that they want you to be. And unless you raise up and says, I will not be anything other than what Jesus wants me to be. Unless you become dogmatic about who you are, what you believe, who you're living for. You're going to find yourself being squeezed into the mold that the world wants you to be in. you got to get to a place where you say, 
I am holy and that's right. I am righteous and that's right. I pray to Jesus Christ and that's right. I look like this because I'm a Christ-centered individual. I talk like this because I'm a Christ-centered individual. We cannot, we cannot become easy and, and not Push hard in this area because the world is trying to convert you to be the way it wants you to be and you are an apostolic. You're a born again believer. You feel with the Holy Ghost and you got more power in you than the world got in all its vast and all encompassing world. You've got more power and you don't have to settle. Just use the power that is within you. We can't do it. We can't do it. You can't go easy. We can't get to the place where we feel like, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. Are you kidding me? You got to get extra. Nothing wrong with this. This, no, no, don't do that. Because sooner or later, they want more and more and more. You hear it, you give somebody an inch, they want a mile. I want to go to heaven. I want to live for God. And I can't allow anything to threaten it. My whole life is what I'm paying the price to be a disciple. Our society desperately needs transformation. As apostolic believers, we're walking in a world where nearly every value we had or held dear to us is maligned, disputed, and attacked. We got to stand up. As a matter of fact, I read something today and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm not always just up on, you know, little stuff that people do, but I don't think there's nothing wrong with this. Anybody know what October 3rd is? Huh. October 3rd. Listen up, my kids. October 3rd. Bring your Bible to school. How about October 3rd? We all bring our Bibles to work and to school and wherever we go that day. Bring our Bible and sit it down and let somebody see you read your Bible. Let somebody see Bible, Holy Bible, sitting somewhere on your desk. We got to do that, man. Because I'm telling you, test it and see what happens. Compromise and see what happens. This ain't the time. Sooner or later you're going to find yourself. And then when you find yourself, because here's what we like to do. I'm done. Here's what we like to do. We like to explain what we're doing to justify it because we know it's not what we should be doing. I don't need no explanation from nobody. I know what the Word of God says. Don't try to justify nothing with me. Oh, don't justify nothing with me. I don't need your explanation. I know what the Bible says. And so a lot of times, we, when we want to do what we want to do, we start explaining. If you're comfortable with what you're doing, you ain't got to explain nothing. If Jesus said, be holy, and you're holy, then what you got to explain? <laughs> but, but people seem to feel like they got to explain something. If you got to explain, you know what it means? You're guilty of something. Isn't that what Judas did? 
The, 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 the guilt just ate him up so much. Why are we letting her break that bottle and spill that thing? We could have got 300 denarius for that. That was your guilt killing you, eating you up. Don't try to explain nothing. If you're doing what God says, you ain't got to explain nothing. If you're living the way God says live, you just keep on stepping and smiling and loving people and just keep on going. Because they're going to know you're good and they're not. You don't have to tell them. I don't have to tell you I'm, I'm, I'm living for God. You know. And if both of us living for God and I'm a little stricter in how I live for God than you, you're going to see it. So we both living for God and I go, I go to church three, four, five times a week and you go one time. You know the difference. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to brag. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but you're going to see it. We can't ease up, church. We can't ease up. We got to go full speed ahead. Yeah. The transformation that happens in the life of a sinner who matures and become a saint of God is remarkable and noticeable. I, I remember somebody said this to me and I was kind of mad, but I still smile. So years ago, somebody met me and said to me, what are you doing now? I said, um, yeah, I'm in church. I'm living for God. And they said to me, <laughs> they said, you was always pretty good. And I wanted to just say, yeah, but that was never going to get me to heaven being pretty good. I just left it at that. You were always pretty good. It don't matter how good we are. We can't get to heaven being good. We get to heaven by being godly, by being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We can't sit back in the cut. We got a church. Y'all got me going. Leave me alone. We got a church in Trenton that a lot of people go to. You know why they going? You know, that church is probably going to get filled up by ex-apostolics. Because that church don't preach the word that holds you re- accountable. So everybody that's apostolic, they stop being apostolic because they say the church is trying to control them. So they went and found a place where they can live anyhow they want and still say they're Christians. Because they talk in tongues. We can't keep being who we are and still belong to Jesus. Everybody, every time you talk to them, yeah, this is where I'm going at now. Yeah, I'm doing this ministry over here. Listen to me. I remember back in my old church, people were leaving to start churches. And because I wasn't interested in starting no church, I'm like, God bless you, love you. One of the preachers I was leaving to start a church, he said to me, he might not have said it, somebody might have said to me, hey, so-and-so going to start a church, you going to go with them? I looked at I said, I can't. How am I going to go to church that somebody pastoring that I was more faithful in my church than he was in our church? Don't get me started. I'm more faithful in our church. I'm more involved in our church. He decided he's going to start a church. I'm supposed to follow him? Boy, help us, Jesus. We can't 
slow this thing down. We can't become accommodating to this world and, 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 and just do stuff lightly. You gotta do it almost dogmatic at this point. There's always points and times in life that you gotta know when to turn it up. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes you could just cruise because of just the time. Probably, uh, maybe 20 years ago, we probably could have cruised a little bit because it just seemed like people really wanted to live for God. Now they don't seem like they want to, so you got to turn it up. Because if you don't turn it up, they're going to turn you up. For you know what you're doing stuff. Oh, Lord. The transformed life through Jesus Christ provides real life, up close and personal, stories of triumph, complete before and after profiles. When your life is transformed, people look at it and know. Let me give you this story and I'll close with this story. When the pastor first laid eyes on the man as a first time guest to the church, Nothing about him particularly informed the pastor of his extreme potential. In fact, to the contrary, the man was evasive, avoided eye contact, hung his head low, and was noncommittal. The pastor was intrigued, however, by the fact that the man had been raised in church. A church has been raised in a church, but had never made a commitment to Christ. So the pastor's like, man, you've been in church all your life, and you still haven't made a commitment to Christ? All the years of going to church, he had been informed, but never transformed. Within a few days, they began a Bible study together. The pastor reached out to him, asked him was he interested in the Bible study. The pastor, the guy said yes, they started a Bible study. The pastor found the man to be friendly, open, and surprisingly hungry for the word. The pastor was quickly energized by the man's willingness to read any book, adjusting of his schedule to convene Bible studies, and change body language when he came to church. After five lessons in the word, the man asked the pastor if he could be baptized. One week later, the man bolted to the altar and God filled him with the Holy Spirit. Just coming to church was quickly becoming not enough for his eager heart. The pastor invited the man into leadership training. It wasn't long until he was serving on the pastoral staff. He was quickly maturing, adding value to the congregation, and manifesting the fruit of discipleship. He and his wife, who had been saved and walking with God for years, demonstrated hearts for lost people, teaching Bible studies, and making disciples. Listen to this. Today, both that man and his wife are missionaries. Because the pastor was fruitful and reproduced himself by making disciple in this man. Now the pastor himself is bearing fruit vicariously. Although he has never been to the mission field, there are now pastors, evangelists, teachers, 
walking the dusty road and the bushes with this pastor's fingerprint on their lives through the life of this disciple, this missionary. The man came in the door. Yes, he's been in church a long time, but he was never transformed. He was conformed. The pastor took the time out to minister to him. The man's life changed. And he became a missionary overseas. And you know what missionaries do? They go over there and they start Bible colleges and Bible schools. And they start teaching and they reach communities. And before you know it, they're spreading the words throughout that entire country. The man became a missionary. And probably more people are being reached by that man and what the work the man started overseas than what that pastor was doing in his city in America. All because... He took the time out to make a disciple. Conformed, but not transformed. When we get transformed, we're going to seek to help somebody else become transformed. You can't just stay and sit still. You're going to look for somebody to help them get transformed. We, every time we come to church, should be looking around to see who is not transformed by what you see and try to befriend them because that's the whole thing with helping someone to know Jesus. You can't, we said this last week, you better find things in common and become their friend. We said everybody need to have a Panera Bread that they frequent or a Starbucks that they frequent somewhere that you frequent because you will run into people and you will spark up a conversation not saying nothing about Jesus. And you will talk to them about their life. And because people are pretty swift, they're going to say, I always tell you about me. What do you do? And deep down inside, you couldn't wait for that day to come for them to ask, what do you do? And then you can say, well, I'm a Christian. And then it is on like popcorn from there. Because you didn't tell them, they asked you. But they ask because you took interest in their life. And people will always respond when you take interest in their life. But they say, people don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. So just going to people to try to tell them about the word of God. If they don't feel like you care and you had interest in them, get out of here. Get out of here. We got to become transformed so we can help other people become transformed. And if we stay conformed, we can never transform anybody's life. We don't literally conform, transform anybody's life. Jesus does. But we become the teacher, the, the one to guide and lead them to Jesus so their life can be transformed. Anybody have any questions before we close this thing down? Any questions? I, I, guess, I guess everything was pretty clear since we don't have any questions. Okay. No question from Sister Hasker, so I guess we good. We can move forward. All right. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, help us. I feel like you're pushing us. And sometimes, Lord, we're not ready to be pushed. But you know what's best. And, Lord, we submit to you. And we want you to do what you want to do in us and through us. For God, we just don't want to be a part of your kingdom for our own reasons and our own benefit. 
But Lord, we want to be in the kingdom of God to be partners with you, to, to help to fulfill the mission of Christ. Lord, will you help us to understand how to truly disciple people, to make disciples of others. But Lord, we know we can't do anything until our life is truly and completely transformed. Will you transform each and every one of us that is here tonight? That as we are transformed, we can transform somebody else by teaching them your word and you working in their life. Lord, thank you for your word. Let this word, Lord God, take root in our heart and become a part of us that we can't help but to live it out. Lord, I pray your strength, your boldness, your courage upon every one of us and that, God, we will realize who we really are and we will allow the power of God to flow from us, that people will be infected with the Spirit of God that's flowing in our heart and flowing through our lives. Lord, have your way, Lord Jesus. Speak to us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus.